In the movie Serpico, Al Pacino plays a cop in New York City who refuses to take a bribe. The other cops from his precinct tell him to take his cut from the bribes. Do with it what you want. Give it to charity, but take the bribe so we know we can trust you. Take the bribe so we know we can trust you. Go watch Serpico. And Serpico is warned to take the money in order to fit in and to move ahead and to make sure his own police partners won't leave him to die, which they end up doing because he couldn't be bribed. Serpico was told, take the bribe. Prove to us your part of the club. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. When you get to the top of the food chain in corporate America, in politics, in Hollywood, in academia, they want to make sure you've made your bones. How many people have you clipped? I heard you shut down an entire factory in Columbus, Ohio. Good for you. You're one of us. Come on in. You know how a Democratic politician makes his bones? By screwing over the left. Screw the unions. When Biden turned his back on the railway unions last year, the Democratic donors all said, I like this guy. He, he's willing to make the tough decisions. That's how you move ahead in Democratic politics. Be dishonest. Lie to the people who voted for you and then screw them over. That way you can be trusted to make the tough decisions. I'm voting for Biden. I have no choice. In corporate America, it's screw your own corporation. You work for a corporation, you move ahead by screwing not just the people who work at your corporation, but the corporation itself. Steal as much as you can. Use the corporation as your personal piggy bank, especially if you're one of the top executives. Why save money for the corporation? It's just going to go to the shareholders. Screw them. You look at most corporations in America, they're in debt. They pay their workers crap, practically no dividends to their shareholders. They don't pay their taxes. The only ones making money are the CEO and his flunkies. That's it. Most corporations in America don't make money for anyone. The reason the stock market seems to be going up again is because of a handful of companies. You know, Microsoft, Apple, ExxonMobil, Facebook is going back up again. It's the way they weight these indexes. A handful of companies can make it look like the entire stock market is doing well. A handful of companies in America, the way they weight these indexes, can make it look like corporate America is doing well. It's not. It's why they're laying everybody off. You can make numbers say whatever you want. The same way a handful of families in America are hoarding all the wealth. But on Thursday, when they announced the economy grew 1.1% in the first quarter, they made it sound like, oh, everybody's benefiting. Yes, the entire economy grew 1.1%. 
but only a handful of families grab the profits. Half this country can't come up with $500 for a medical emergency. And yet the new numbers out on Thursday say we're not in a recession. Isn't it amazing how great everyone is doing? It's all about lying, lying to everybody. You move ahead in this country just by lying and cheating. It's not about loyalty. It's about dirt. It's about being a dirty human being. What, you're not going to pad your expense account on the business trip or try to bang Marla? Come on, I need to be able to trust you. That's the corporate mindset. And like over at Fox News, they're doing oppo research on their own employees. Oppo research on your own employees. Because in corporate America, your employees are your opponents. Your employees are your opponents. You go to work for a corporation, your boss is more afraid of you than it is the company you're supposedly competing against. In corporate America, your rivals aren't other corporations. Your rivals are your co-workers, people who will either try to take your job or ask for more money by threatening to quit. It's an extortion racket. That's what corporate America is. It's all about getting something over on someone. And the way to do that is getting something on them. Get some dirt. That's how you move up. As I've said on this program since the beginning, you don't move ahead in corporate America by doing a good job. You move ahead by being a bad person. The people at the tippy tippy top are ambitious. That's all they are. They're not talented. They're just ambitious. They loathe talented people because talented people remind them of what they're not. And so the corner offices of the C-suites are populated by voracious animals who are only comfortable around their own species. They only want to work with uh, other miscreants, other incompetents with sharp elbows. And their mantra is, let the fools do all the hard work down below us. But up here in the corporate, in the C-suite, we're breathing the rarefied air of revenge and deceit. In corporate America, I need to trust you means you're just as corrupt as I am. I need your secrets. It's our bond. I need to know that if you get too ambitious, I can destroy you. It's why the rich and the powerful have to go to Bohemian Grove, places like Bohemian Grove, where they humiliate themselves before the older rich and powerful. Supposedly, Richard Nixon went to Bohemian Grove and allowed himself to be photographed up there wearing a dress. So no matter how high Richard Nixon climbed, his rich and powerful friends would always have something on him. J. Edgar Hoover. There's a picture of him in a dress. Why? You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. It's time for our comedy virus. Let's all welcome Dave 
Cyrus. Well, 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 let's go to Los Angeles where Hollywood screenwriter Dave Cyrus is standing by. He will be back in New York City Saturday to write on Saturday Night Live and his new series, Bupkis, which he created. And he also co-stars in, along with Pete Davidson, Edie Falco and Joe Pesci. Bupkis premieres on the Peacock Network, I believe, this week, uh, Friday night. How are you? How are things in Los Angeles? You, you're busy. You got Saturday Night Live this Saturday. How are things going? Oh, actually, David, I'm in New York because. Oh, oh okay. I didn't know. Saturday Night Live. I'm in the hotel that NBC got me in order to work on SNL for this week because, of course, my writing partner. That's a beautiful hotel room. Are you allowed to say where you are? I'm at the Plaza. You're at the the plaza in New York City. I, I didn't read. I didn't read my notes. So you're at the plaza getting ready for Saturday Night Live this Saturday night. Pete Davidson, the star of Bupkis, you're who you co-created Bupkis with. I did co-create uh, Pete. It, the thing and is- you're going to be plugging it this Saturday night on Saturday Night Live and you're in the thick of it. At 30 Rock, how's it going? Can you give us a hint of what the show's going to be like? I have what might be considered terrible news. What? Uh, There is not going to be a Saturday Night Live. What? Why why isn't that? What? How? How could that be? Even though I'm in this beautiful hotel they gave me for the purposes of being able to be right where I need to be all week, uh, apparently, and and I want you to get upset, I know how much... You don't like unions, but we <laughs> had no choice but to strike the Writers Guild. Who's on strike? The Writers Guild. Uh, you see, David, people who write for, you know, uh, screen, uh, you know, movies and TV, we're all part of a union. You know, unions aren't as powerful as they used to be in this country, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, sometimes we have to go on strike to get uh, equitable treatment. So, so you're uh, telling me, strike. Uh, hang on, hang on. Let me understand this. Saturday Night Live will not be seen this Saturday because the writers are striking. Not yet. Well, yes, but not just the Saturday Night Live writers. All writers in the guild, all screenwriters. But are can't they do Saturday Night Live without writers? What, what do they need they writers could. for? A hundred percent they could. They just shouldn't. Um, Couldn't like they we, just turn the camera on and, and everybody just is funny? I'm I'm funny. My Uncle Morty is funny. They don't need writers. Why can't they I mean, just? Well, I mean, that is what SNL was doing from 1982 to 1985. <laughs> <But> <laughs> the Gene Domanian years. Yes, exactly. Uh, right. Uh, but yeah, what, what happened my, what last time, 15 years ago, was it went on for months and shows. Eugene Carroll, by the way, uh, wrote for Saturday Night Live during the uh, Gene Domanian years. Did you know that? Yeah. Yes, I, I do know that. But but um, we're rooting for her. Nevertheless, <laughs> those weren't those weren't great years. And, you know, that's probably why she once said that that was literally the worst experience of her life. Wow. And we'll leave it at that. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Um, 
<laughs> that's that's pretty that's pretty funny, actually. Yeah, no, she's uh, that, she's that what you just said is pretty funny. She is uh, a heroic woman, and I really, is. I really, yeah. really appreciate her putting her life on the line for to do what's right. Literally, yeah, hundred percent. Literally, yeah. So, in all seriousness, you're telling me that Saturday Night Live and all of television is dark. Yeah, it, uh, shows will not be coming out. I mean, my show's coming out because we finished it before the strike, of course. Uh, but now, unfortunately, it has less competition. And uh, it's gonna. we're going to see how long this lasts because I went to SNL Monday before the strike happened, said hi to everyone, did the pitch meeting. And the whole time we're like, well, let's see if we're here tomorrow. Because everyone was hoping, but I at the time was literally just saying like, I don't think there's much chance at all that this is happening. Just looking at the way things were going, I was like, I knew the guild wasn't going to just give up. And I did not think that the studios or, you know, the, the companies were going to, right. to cave on such. Because, I mean, I think they see this as a great opportunity to save lots and lots of money by turning writing into a gig economy kind of job. Which they have kind of done. So before we get into the weeds here, it's important very few people have sympathy for the writers, in, yeah. especially in Hollywood. The, the below the line workers during the last strike were very upset. Los Angeles lost about three billion dollars. Its economy lost three billion dollars when the writers went on strike in 2007, 2008. It was 100 yeah. days. People who work teleprompters, makeup artists, uh, craft services, they don't belong to a union. They are not protected. And so there's a lot of resentment towards writers or directors or actors when they shut the business down. Well, people think, number one, they think every writer and actor is a millionaire. And that is a vast minority of the people in this industry. People are not rich you know, actor, people in SAG, people at WGA, most of them are not rich by any stretch. Right. But also it's the fact that, you know, the entertainment industry has been used as this very disingenuous scapegoat for right wing politics to just say that all your problems are because of the movie stars that, you know, you wish you were yet somehow want dead. Mm -hmm. uh, it's this, you know, really weird, you know, obsession they have. And it's just the fact of how many people are sort of just resentful of the entertainment industry simply for existing without them and how many right. people just hate everything. Well, those are uh, people in the entertainment industry. Well, yeah, I mean, they've, they've, they've I mean, 90 percent of your time as a writer, actor, producer is uh, resenting the industry. Yeah. Either, why, either because you're not working or because you are working. It's not a healthy place to be which is why we need unions. So what what yeah. are the issues? It's the micro rooms. What are micro rooms? Well, that's the idea of having um, rooms with writers before a show goes into production so that it is not covered in the same uh, under the same rules of how a writing room would be would be paid and compensated by sort of just doing preliminary writing before you start production. That means you don't have writers on set as much. Right. But it also it's a way of sort of getting around uh, even more so writers getting the amount of work and time working that they normally would. Um, that, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a mini room if the people are getting compensated properly. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, I mean, the basic problem is 
the entertainment companies are bigger than ever. They're making more money than ever. And writers on average are making less than ever. And that doesn't really work because you can't just trust any corporation to share the wealth. No, you got to take they're it. They're, they're, they only do it if they're forced to. So you have to it take it. Like we are being forced to. Uh, yeah, you cannot ask for more money. You have to take it. And I think that's one of the problems most Americans don't understand. Certainly, I never understood. I've always been shy about asking for a raise or more money or promotion. Uh, We've demonized ethics in corporations by allowing them to say things like we are legally not allowed to do anything ethical because our we are legally responsible to just make as much money as possible, which is not which, which is a lie. Yeah, it's insane. corporations to say corporations are are incorporated by the state and they were initially set up to benefit the state. And it built into a corporate charter is community responsibility. Yeah, they act as though community responsibility is literally against the law because then right. their shareholders could say you could have made 10 more cents. And that means, you know, you shouldn't have done anything right. And that just doesn't it, it, it's a ridiculous argument to make. It's like when the oil companies are saying like, yeah, we just we cannot control the fact that when oil goes up in price a lot and people are suffering, we just happen to make the most money of any year. Like right. that doesn't that doesn't apply to any other industry. Right. Yet they talk, they try to talk down to us and say that they have no choice. No, you have a choice. You you created the rule that you just then said you can't break. So and, what uh, is the inventory right now? Your show, Bupkis, they've already stocked up how many episodes? Eight episodes. Eight episodes. Season. Yeah. So when do we start seeing evidence of a strike? Well, Saturday Night Live will not be on this weekend as it was supposed to be. The, any live written show is not airing right now. You know, Late Show, Tonight Show, all those shows are not airing. Um, and what we're going to see, you're going to see more evidence in the coming months because no movie it, that is not in its final stages, especially a comedy, can really be competently made like this. TV show, everything is going to get delayed. And, you know, last time it cut into a ton of TV shows. SNL had a very short season. This time it's over the summer. Maybe it'll be better. But a lot of things are being shot right now. A lot of movies are being developed. Everything stops. Everything Was this a surprise? No. Not at all. I mean, if you look at the history of it, I was surprised it didn't happen in 2017. But and, and how does it benefit the corporations when writers go on strike? Because it does. It, it allows them to examine new business models, streamline. You know, I was reading about James Corden. His show cost something like $56 million a year, but only brought in $45 million dollars a year yeah that seems bad that seems bad is that business model uh sustainable i'm not defending james corden or the way he treated his writers and i know that he specifically was trying to do it on the cheap with the writers guild he specifically that show was trying to come up with a new business model why it's not the writer's fault if a show is not making the revenue that it's costing that, you know, if you need to hire less writers and less people all around, fine. 
but it's not specifically the writer's responsibility to shoulder all that financial burden just because you wanted to have everything you wanted and it's not profitable. No one's saying that companies have to lose money. They just can't grossly underpay people when they're making more money than they have before. It's also no, it's, it's no writer's fault that, that certain companies decided to go billions of dollars in debt as a decision, as a decision to try to get market share in exchange for profits. Right. That's not our problem. And they waste money. All corporations waste money on stuff that has nothing to do with the product. Well, yeah, it sure feels like if you gave fifty six million dollars to four separate talk show hosts and said. Make make a nightly late night talk show, they could do it. Hire union crew. Mm hmm. But if they had good producers who weren't wasting the money, see, the producers who have no talent, they get the the lion's share of that money. And the agents and the managers and the lawyers who do nothing, if you if you figured out a way to to pay the people who actually make the show. It would be profitable, but you have complete zeros mobsters dipping their beak into these budgets. Well, let's even look at it more in a more simple way that not even about entertainment industry. This goes back to the idea that a few decades ago, a CEO usually made something like $15 million compared to the lowest person in their company making 15,000, let's say 40 years ago. Now the lowest paid person in that company is making twice that, three times, 40,000 maybe. And then the CEO is making $300 million. So we've just created a scenario where CEOs are just making such a huge percentage of the profits that everyone else is suffering. And it's like, am I crazy to think that a CEO who makes a quarter billion dollars a year would probably do just as good a job making $50 million a year? Right. Is that crazy? At some point, they're not working harder. For that extra, like at some point, they're not being like, I work this hard if I'm making 100 million, but I work this hard if I'm making 200 million. Like, no. Is this a fair statement for people who aren't comedy writers? You should go look at the credits on a television show and see that all the producers and the executive producers and Measure, you can't imagine who's getting more, but I can assure you the people above the writers are making way more than the writers. They, they might have a percentage. They may have points in, in the profits and they do absolutely nothing. And I well, mean, well, that is zero, zero. Well, the thing you have to remember is that the word producer or even executive producer can mean vastly different things right right. on there are some usually on that list there's at least one executive producer who's doing the most work that's usually like the showrunner is an executive producer the person who's actually doing non-stop work and then there might be someone who's actually fully then there's the star then there's the star's manager who right who who gets an executive producer credit because he's getting 15 percent off the top because the star doesn't want to pay him his commission the so point 50, is, 
It can mean a lot of different things. It can. Right. Yes. The term can mean a lot of different things. There are some people who are working 14 hours a day and there's other people that it might just be a rubber stamp. Uh, that's the way it is in the industry. Yeah. So they blame the unions, but it's the inefficiency at the top. I mean, you, yeah. and you do have people who don't write a word who are producers who get. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Credits. The I, greed, the greed. It's it's. It's everywhere. I, it's not just I've worked. I mean, years ago, I worked uh, in a system many years ago where I had a boss simply list himself as a writer. Yeah. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. And it's all the time. It, 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 they just because they can and because everyone wants to be able to say they're a writer and not everyone is. And it's really weird when people are just like, well, I'd like to see my name on the writing list because yeah. I'm in charge of them. It's, right. it's, it's insane. See, you're a writer. Anybody can write. Everybody can write. Anybody yeah. can write an email the same way anybody can cook a meal. What you can do is start with a blank page. And once people see something on a page, they see a blueprint, they see plans, and then they can say out loud without actually typing change this, say this, do that. You can sit around with a group of people at a table and make some alterations. But what you can do is actually go sit down and write something. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and most people in Hollywood, including most writers, can't do that. I mean, I worked on a sitcom where there were some writers who never cracked open their laptop. They just sat around a table. And, Which and is that what, is a skill. I mean, that is a skill. And that's what AI is. So that's what makes AI, AI yeah, so yeah. weird because you know what's happening. You know what's going to happen. Executives dream of this day that they don't need writers because they right. can just have AI and they can tweak it. They think that they can massage an AI until they have something that's a, a good product. And the truth is there are some mediums that that might work in. Procedurals. Things that are incredibly repetitive and hacky. AI at this point cannot write competent jokes, so it cannot write competent dialogue. But it so can is, write. It's but it's scary. All, it's scary well, what it can it do. It can, but it can't because just like with AI art, people are not realizing it's not inventing ideas. It's just cobbling them together from enough different sources that it doesn't seem stolen anymore. Right. But that's what AI art was. So. You're going to have a lot of AI get sued for plagiarism, to be perfectly honest, because that's what it's doing by another AI. Yeah, it's cobbling things together. Well, yes, I mean, well, get, let, let's start before we catastrophize. There is some good to AI. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it'll force humans to be more creative. There'll be sophisticated palettes where people can say, well, this show is just by the numbers. I mean, movies, once you read Sid Field's book, you begin to see the formula to all movies. And it's Aristotelian. It, it's what we're accustomed to, the same way a song has a formula. But the formula has to change, has to keep up with AI. Certainly yeah. television changed with streaming. Uh, yes. Sitcoms were no longer these three-act, limited, self-contained programs. They, there was an, a seasonal arc now because of streaming, because of binge watching. So don't you think the mind, the human mind, 
is resilient enough to outmaneuver AI. We only use, what, 3% of our brain? If you're a Republican, 2%. So won't this force us to use more of our brain to outwit AI? I mean, I think that, yes, the brain is capable of adapting and that there are just a lot of things AI can't do. And you're going to see that people who try to make shows with AI, the shows are going to be as bad as you imagine. If unless you have someone who is creatively changing those decisions, I don't really see and especially in comedy, I just don't see it happening. I don't see it being able to replace anything. I mean, they, they had AI try to write plots. And not only were they rudimentary, but it's like, who cares? A plot shouldn't be that complicated when it comes to a comedy show. It's the execution and the content. So I'm not that concerned about it. But just like remember when they how Friends was the first show that was created without a creative showrunner. It was just executives hiring writers. They would love for a situation to exist where they can do the same thing. They're just unaware of how bad that's going to be. Yeah. So they they would love us to not be human beings. I live on the Turner Classic Movie app. It's pretty much any free time I have, I watch Turner Classic Movies on my phone. That's what I like to do. And I like watching movies on a phone because you can see everything. And Turner Classic Movies does synopses of every movie, beat by beat. And I realized that you could just take the synopses of the movie uh what was airplane based on uh, something zero yeah it was it was based on some drama about air travel yeah right and and it was pretty you know, almost beat by beat yeah they recreated we realize it. how much is directly parodied from it yeah right and and so I, I was looking at some obscure outline that TCM provided for some obscure movie starring Robert Stack. And I thought you could easily just copy and paste these beats and write a script off these beats, change the names, change the setting, the desires, the the, uh, inciting incidents can change, but you'll know the pacing. You just copy the pacing. And that's pretty much what, they kind of already do. Do you need artificial intelligence to do what most Hollywood films are already doing in terms of structure? It's the execution, as you say, that where the artistry manifests itself. Well, right. Exactly. There's so many movies that the structure is something that already exists. Therefore, AI could easily do it because the person who's doing it is not really being creative. He's just sort of copying a formula. So, but like I said, that's not the hard part is, is all I'm saying. It's, right. So yeah, they they definitely could use it. And look, there are, there are people who are going to build things off of AI because they exactly, like you say, they're the kind of people who can look at something and tweak it, but they can't just create something. Right. I have to believe that those are going to have, that the quality level will be low enough that it's glaring. And that it's so not is this good or bad? Because as you know, it's I doubt. Well, no, I'm going to is terrible. No, AI is fucking terrible. It is terrible. But let me go with the positives. There is uh, an artificial shortage of doctors in America. There are only something like 200 medical schools because the AMA believes in supply and demand. Fewer doctors mean you can charge more. 
So F them. People are dying because there's a shortage of doctors. So if AI, I mean, what's going to happen with AI within a year, because we already have these AI, these uh, chat GPT is what is it called? Yeah, chat GPT. Already passed the bar. We can do without lawyers. Well, yeah, lawyers are actually the ones who are going to be the most directly affected by this because people who just write contracts are not doing literally anything creative. They're just copying formats and changing the names. It doesn't really need to be a human being doing it. No, no. And, and with doctors, you know, you can if you have a diagnosis and you need to know what medication, what treatment. The doctors are going to be forced because of malpractice to rely on a specific AI to at least approve what they're doing. Yeah. They're not going to trust a doctor to proceed without first checking with AI. Yeah. Well, look, AI can replace a lot of jobs if we allow it. But and I'm so more, my question I'm to you is, about- my question to you is, most jobs, as David Graeber writes, are bullshit. It turns out wiping grandma's ass when she's 104 is a noble profession. Yeah. That, that we start paying people for re- to do real jobs like wiping grandma's ass, taking care of children, daycare workers make nothing. Well, that turns out raising kids is the most important job you can do. Go ahead. I'm talking too much. No, I'm saying that. Yeah, that would be good. That would be great if that was the end result of it. But that just goes along with having a a sort of rehaul the concept of labor costs and who gets paid what, and you know what, and universal income is going to have to sort is going to have to be an issue when there just aren't any jobs that need people to be doing them anymore. Um. But there are always see, I think it's values. There are always jobs that have to be done. Right. But the question is, if it's a job that anyone can do, how much is it going to pay right now? Usually the amount you get paid is proportional to how difficult or how many people can do a job. If it's a job literally anyone can do, it, it pays very little. If it's a job a small number of people can do it. You can make a lot of money. Yeah, right. But. But yeah, it would have to be a complete change in the idea of who deserves what, you know, do we just do we pay people more than we could get them to work for? That feels like something we would have to really become a much better society to to uh, get to the point of. OK, is there a lot of waste in corporate America? I assume uh, you're staying at the Plaza Hotel. Yeah. All right. Uh, I won't go there. OK. But the Plaza Hotel is pretty expensive. So what's it like staying at the Plaza Hotel? It's pretty cool. You're not paying um, for it, though. No, no. And I checked if they could get their money back once the show wasn't going to happen. But I think it was too late. Or they probably um, have. I mean, who knows what kind of deals they strike. Now, did Trump once own the Plaza? Was this is this the one that was the Trump Plaza? Is this the Plaza on Fifth Avenue that overlooks yeah. the park? Is yeah. it right near Bergdorf Goodman's and the Paris Theater? Yeah, I think that's the one. Yeah. 
So what, what, what is it? It's going condo, right? I, I, don't, I don't know. I, don't well, know. I, I would assume you don't have a view of the park. If you want a view of the park, you have to own an apartment. Yeah, no, I can't see the park from here. Yeah, that's for the tourists. The, the Russian um, oligarchs get the views of the park because it's gone co-op or condo. Yeah. Well, yes, uh, it was very nice of them to do this uh, for me as the writer of the host. It seems quite the, uh, the gift. But, you know, I'm not a CEO. I'm not a wealthy man. Uh, you I will only be. Get a, I only get a taste of this. It's pretty nice. It is, but I mean, you know, what am I going to do with the hotel? I That's once so stayed cool. at the Four Seasons in Chicago, and yeah. I called my family up. I called my kids. They were very young at the time, and I said, and they, I didn't have a butler, but they kept checking on me and bring, I mean, it was nice. And I called yeah. my kids. I said, this isn't love, but it sure feels like it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's one of those things. I don't don't get things like this often. I mean, I've worked for SNL for a very long time. I never got a hotel room, so it's right. You know, this was a very once in a once in a lifetime thing. When do you think the strike ends? Well, it usually takes several months, and I don't know. I, and I don't what are you going to do with the time? I don't know. I I feel like I I was just going to spend it with you. All and, right, uh, you maybe know. we can write a script in the downtime. Yeah. I don't I don't think we're allowed to do that. Aren't you allowed to write for yourself? I don't know. Am I like, can't you come up with don't you come up with ideas during a strike for yourself that you want to pitch or something? I don't know. I don't I don't know if that's even a thing. I mean, I suppose if you have an idea, you can't control it. But we couldn't like work on something, I thought. It'd be interesting to find out. I can't imagine writers being not allowed to write for themselves just to keep. I mean, if you don't write every day, it's a muscle. I, I don't know. I don't know how. I mean, yeah, it's hard to imagine that them, you know, controlling that. But I, I don't know if, you know, agreeing to do that with you right now violates something. I, I honestly yeah, don't. Maybe maybe teaming up is probably. Yeah, I would way. imagine. Yeah. You were not supposed to be working. I'm not even. I'm not even bathing. I don't want people to think that I'm, you know, right. Not taking this seriously. Right. But you know, it'll end because, because I mean, more people want to watch TV than ever before. So uh, I don't right. think they, they're going to give up on just having shows. So tell time. me about the picket today. You were, you were picketing your own show. Yeah. Uh, the first day of the picket was out front at Peacock's at fronts, which was advertising my show bupkis and uh i got interviewed by axios <laughs> where i actually where they the guy afterwards said like craziest thing about it was talking to a writer for a show in front of picketing in front of his own uh show's poster and so, where were these upfronts held this was at the peacock offices on i think fifth ave oh so it wasn't in some theater or something no no it was on the street out the, no, I'm the saying the, the the where they were doing the upfronts. Yeah, not upfronts. It was at fronts. So basically, it's just like it's like advertising at the establishment, uh, you know, because that's the show that was premiering. So, Are you allowed to talk about Bupkis and promote it? Yeah, of course. That's so, that, J there's no rule against that. Yeah, Joe Pesci is in it. Yeah, Joe Pesci, Edie Falco, a lot of people. 
a lot of folks are in the show. So hopefully they uh, put some asses in the seats. Did you spend any time with Joe Pesci? Of course. Oh, yeah. No, nice guy. You know, fun guy. Very, uh, very, very kind. You know, very, uh, very much of what you expect. You know, he's he's, he's the person you think he's going to be. He's uh, he's Joe Pesci. It's uh, it, it, things get really real when something you wrote is being said by him. That really right. that'll really sh- that'll really shake you awake as a writer. C- could you write something really bad? And he would make it good. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the worse it is, probably the more he's going to want to change it. So I think what I'm saying is read it as written, but just put something on it where you go. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm sure I would say so. Yeah. I mean, no, he 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 definitely played with stuff a lot. So, yeah, definitely. I was reading an interview with Julia Louis-Dreyfus and she was saying uh, she (laughs) jokingly slammed. The writing on Seinfeld saying, you know, sometimes the cast made things work when there was nothing there. And I thought, you know, everybody loves Seinfeld. But that is a show that kind of makes sense for. There was a lot of times when there was like no joke except for like inflection. Yeah, that is true. Where the, the cast. All right. Before you go. What's happening in the news that you want to talk about? Uh, nothing. We can just go. Uh, now, everything, everything's, uh, you know, it, it, the strike is obviously a big thing right now. And uh, we got a lot of problems with uh, people want to shoot each other. So that's America. Yeah. We, Dave and I, went to an autograph show. I won't we mention. Did. Yeah, but I won't mention where. But we, we just popped in. It was very fun. Uh, we, we won't mention any of the celebrities we saw. It was simultaneously sweet and depressing. I mean, a lot of celebrities living is just setting up a card table and signing autographs. And, you know, if that if that's what keeps them from having to work at Home Depot, fine. Yeah. But uh, that's the world. I mean, it's just it's nice that there are so many people who are like, I'm going to spend my Sunday meeting a celebrity. Right. Paying paying for an autograph. It's a, it's a weird thing to imagine. But yeah, um, at least, you know, I'm glad that those celebrities are able to do this instead of being on the streets. And they take home like a lot of money doing these things. Yeah, it so, depends on who, depends on who and how many people want their autographs. But yeah, so it's nice that uh, a lot of celebrities who haven't worked in twenty years can have like a little renaissance traveling around the country, showing up. It is uh, nice. It is nice. Uh, Have you ever done that for the uh, MTV half hour comedy hour tours where they bring <laughs> all, the, all the names? That would be funny to do that, to set up. Just going from from right. state fair to state fair, signing right. autographs. You know, well, you know my party. idea for a, a special that I want to pitch. What? I play Madison Square Garden. That's funny. We literally rent out Madison Square Garden. And I and we try to sell tickets and just, you know, and then I have to play to 20 people in Madison Square. And they're all over the, you know, they're no, not we, seated we, together. We should, we should plan it for when there's going to be some sort of either great storm or even natural disaster. And then <laughs> free. So you see if you can get everyone just trying to get out of the rain into your show <laughs> and then see 
as the show goes on, do they choose to go back out into the rain? Right. Or stay where they can hear you? I just wonder how many seats I could, how many tickets could I sell? Like, you know, I could run into Louis C.K., who can still sell out Madison Square Garden, and I can talk to him and how you doing. And I'm thinking, I can't sell one ticket for people to come see me at Madison Square Garden. He can't sell enough. I mean, there aren't enough tickets. <laughs> it's just, it's amazing. Maybe if there was some sort of uh, talent that I had. Incentive. I mean, I feel like you could get more, you could sell more tickets to a glory hole than. That's just the way the world is now. All right, Dave Cyrus, how do people yep. contact you? That's it, Dave Cyrus. You don't have All to right. contact me. Thank right, you. Thanks, man. Bye. It's time for our comedy virus. Let's all welcome Dave Cyrus. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. <laughs>